It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, the mobile app and podcast platforms. He's Jeff Eagles. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we'll continue to break down all that is happening with the New York Giants. Remember, all of the shows this week are pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take your phone calls, but you can continue to submit your questions through Giants.com, the mailbag, as well as using hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter, on social media. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcasts. We're going to continue to preview the Giants' upcoming regular season opponents, and today we'll turn our attention to Atlanta. The Giants will host the Falcons at MetLife Stadium in Week 3 on September 26th. To get more into Atlanta and what to expect from that team this season, we are now joined by the Falcons radio play-by-play announcer, none other than Wes Durham. Wes, you got Lance Meadow and Jeff Fiegels here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate the time today. Hope you and yours are safe and healthy. How's everything on your end? Uh, pretty good. It's been a pretty quick offseason, and it uh, feels like it's going to get a lot quicker here with uh, <laughs> Of what about a month and change to training camp for everybody or most everybody else in the league so uh but plenty of new things in atlanta to get used to as we uh, work our way to the start of the year absolutely and that's a great starting point let's start with the newness right atop the team and that is the fact that they do have a new head coach in arthur smith who comes over from tennessee their offensive coordinator i think a lot of people wes are wondering okay well what's the identity of this falcons offense going to be is it going to resemble the run heavy offensive approach in tennessee with derrick henry are they going to capitalize more on some of the offensive weapons in the passing game how would you best assess what you think this arthur smith offense is going to look like well i think you if you're gonna if you're gonna visualize tennessee then i think you may be going up the wrong tree a little bit because there's not anything about atlanta's material that leads you to believe they don't have a big back they don't have a derrick henry um you know they they've had enough trouble running football in the last couple of years and you know while they've done some things certainly chris lindstrom and caleb mcgarry have been outstanding additions on the right side looks like matt hennessy will be the center um going into the season now that they've let Alex Mack go. I, to me, Lance and Jeff, the, the idea here with Atlanta is I think you're going to see a lot more Matt Ryan. Obviously, I think throwing the ball, even with the trade of Julio Jones, is still going to be a premium. But they've got to find a way to run the ball better. I just don't think they can make as drastic a change to what uh, to what Coach Smith did when he was in Nashville, for sure. Well, certainly Mike Davis uh, last year, you know, filling in or Christian McCaffrey did a decent job there in Carolina and now with the Atlanta Falcons. And I, I, I agree with you, you know, any football team needs to run the football um, to be able to compete in the National Football League. But, you know, the big thing that I'm looking at, and uh, I'll, I'll hit this first because I think this is the big topic, is, is um, you know, Julio Jones leaving the team sure. and going elsewhere and the drafting of Calvin Ridley a few years ago. Is he ready to step up, and who's going to be that outside guy to help him? Um, the second question is, and I tell you what, you guys grab my guy, because I and Lance will tell you that when we first started talking about the draft, Kyle Pitts was my man. I wanted him so bad, like a lot of other teams did. But talk a little bit about those two guys, and I think that that's kind of where you're going with it, Wes, is that this offense is going to be a little bit heavy on the throwing the football around to these guys, and Russell Gage is another one. Jeff, I'll, I'll take the uh, – let me take the Julio Jones to Calvin Ridley sure. transition first because I think one of the things you have to remember about Julio and, and when healthy, and I always have to precurse that. I mean, I have to say when healthy because, you know, the last two years he's just not been very healthy. Now, has he played two dozen ball games in the last two years? Yeah, roughly that number. But the reality of it is he's got to be at 100% to be the top three receiver that he was five years ago. Um, you know, when Atlanta went to the Super Bowl and, and he was making play after play and Ryan was the MVP. But I, I think Calvin Ridley in the last two years has emerged in a way that I think has surprised a lot of people. I think his versatility and his durability have really, really developed nicely. Um, and to answer your question, yeah, I, I, there's no doubt I thought Pitts was the go at four all along. I, I thought there was a lot of smoke being thrown. 
more of it from the West Coast than the Bay Area was being thrown than any place else. But I never felt like Atlanta was going to take a quarterback. I, I just didn't. And now if the offer had been strong enough to give up for, I think they would have done that. But once the, the San Francisco-Miami deal went down, I think the, you know, the, 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 the amount of money or the amount of inventory being swapped at that position, I think probably took Atlanta out of having to move the pick or getting anybody to get that neighborhood done. So Pitts was the go, and I always felt like he was the go because I, I think he's a game changer. I really do. I think he's a, a guy that immediately causes a problem for the defense. Who do you put on him? Safeties aren't big enough. Linebackers are too slow. I mean, when you look at what he did and against who he did it, um, I don't know if there can't misses anymore in the National Football League, but I think he's going to be an impactful guy from day one. You mentioned Russell Gage on the other side. I, I think because of Jones's issues last couple of years, Russell Gage has gotten a lot out of the offense. And Matt Ryan developed some confidence in Russell Gage. He's got to be more consistent. I think Calvin Ridley's ready to go. I think Kyle Pitts is ready to go, even as a rookie. Um, and health will be his question. You know, how does the first-year guy hold up to this? I still think you've got to look at guys maybe who are probably unknown outside of the Atlanta camp, uh, but they've been here a couple of years. Alameda Zacchaeus, a kid out of Virginia who can play the slot, Ridley plays the perimeter, then they can flip-flop. You know, depending on, and, and you guys know this, more and more we're seeing the nickel base defenses now uh, in the National Football League. Atlanta's got enough weapons to cause problems with nickel-based defenses. And then I'll go back to what you said, Jeff, about Mike Davis. His ability to run the ball is really going to be the equitable for what Atlanta does this year. If, if they can run it, you know, honestly, just be serviceable running it, uh, I, I think they've got a chance to return to form offensively. But Pitts is a game-changer, especially in the red zone where Atlanta struggled the last couple of years for sure. Wes, I feel with the arrival of Pitts, maybe one guy that gets overlooked a bit is Hayden Hurst, who was on the team last year as their other tight end. And the reason I bring him up, as you mentioned, you can't look at Tennessee and figure that Atlanta is going to duplicate that. But with that being said, Arthur Smith, I thought, did a really nice job utilizing the tight ends in Tennessee. Jonu Smith, who now is in New England, and he had a few other young guys. How do you see the dynamics playing out between Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurst and the various roles they may play within this passing game? Well, I think Hayden Hurst is more of your conventional guy, Lance. I, I think he's the guy who's hand on the ground, quote-unquote, the willing blocker. I think that Kyle Pitts is more, golly, and I hate to do this, I think he's more the Kelsey uh, type. You know, I think he's the guy in space that we've all kind of fallen in love with at tight end here in the last couple of years, right? Sure. I think that's the guy that, that, hey, that Kyle Pitts is going to be. I think Kyle Pitts is the um, he's the guy, like John o. Smith, that can run, catch, play in the space, line him up wide. You know, I mean, that's that's what Pitts is. He's And, look, we were fortunate in, in my career broadcasting the games here to have Tony Gonzalez in the yeah. back third of his career. And Tony Gonzalez had a tremendous impact, and you saw his presence. Even when the ball wasn't even thrown to his side of the field, Tony Gonzalez used to take a guy and a half with him. Kyle Pitts probably won't take a guy and a half with him early. But if Jeff and I are right in our estimation of what he could be, it won't be the end of the year before a guy and a half's on it. (laughs) That will open up the rest of the field for Atlanta. And that's what Gonzalez did. And when Gonzalez and Jones were together, it was a wrap. And the reason it was a wrap was because you you had guys that literally could not cover the field, and oh, by the way, then you'd run it. So that's kind of where Atlanta's got to get to. Without Jones healthy on the field, without the real threat at tight end, um, you know, Atlanta was kind of forced to, to play in a box a little bit in the last couple of years. And, the, and that, at the end of the day, probably spelled as much demise for Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov as anything else. Well, Wes, I'll tell you what, the Giants, they play the Atlanta Falcons in the third week of the season. We'll find out sooner or later if they've got one and a half guys on Kyle Pitts or not. <laughs> no, I think you're right. And it's interesting because, and you guys have looked at schedules, I'm sure, of other teams as well. The way Atlanta opens with Philly, Tampa, and then New York in the first three weeks before, uh, before Washington comes to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, Atlanta's going to have a pretty good feel of where they are after three weeks or four weeks for sure. And with this new coach, new staff, new administration, you know, then they they played the Jets in London in week five. I mean, 
you know, by the time they get to mid-October and the bye week, which is really early for them, uh, Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot are going to have a whole lot of tape to look at and say, okay, what's working, what's not working, and can we evaluate kind of in the middle third of the season? And, and with 17 games this year, you know, that week five bye or week six bye, that's a really, really early bye for a young football team. That means a long, long second half of the season, if you will. Well, Wes, real, real quickly, to stay on the offensive side, we have not mentioned Matt Ryan at all. Um, I feel, yeah. you know, as far as health and age, and, you know, the team certainly has done a great job of surrounding him with some playmakers. Um, what's your take on Matt Ryan? What have you seen this offseason? And, uh, you know, what do you see going forward into the 2021 season for this young man? Well, he's not young yeah. anymore. The old guy. Well, no, not, any, uh, not young anymore, for sure. By his own admission, too, which is kind of funny. Because <laughs> um, he has to admit he's aging, which he doesn't want to do. But, you know what, Jeff? He's he's always been a guy that when you doubt him, and a lot of people spent the last year doubting him, and yet he threw you know for his fifth straight four thousand yard season. Right? I mean, the guy is one of the best quarterbacks statistically the NFL has, and I would say this: I think he's sometimes really un- underappreciated by by the general football public, and in particular in his own town at times. Sure, um, I expect him to have a great year. I really do. I, I think the he is okay with the culture changes. Yeah, and you know what I mean, Jeff. There are guys who play in this league that when there's a front office change or a coaching change, it can go south pretty quick. And I, I would say you're kind of seeing that in Green Bay a little bit. But for Matt, he, he adjusted to this, and I think part and parcel, because he was never the bona fide starter, even if you go back to his college days. Uh, when Tom O'Brien was coaching him at Boston College, he went in and out of the lineup a lot. And so, you know, he never kind of gets comfortable. He always wants to grind and play with the chip on his shoulder. And I think he'll have a really good year. I, for my sake and his sake, I kind of hope they've gotten the offensive line figured out. Now, whether it's going to be Andrews, whether the left guard situation shakes out, is going to really be critical to whether Atlanta can have the kind of year offensively I think they want to. We're talking with Wes Durham, the Falcons radio play-by-play announcer, and I want to piggyback over that point, Wes, before we shift gears to the defensive side of the ball, because first of all, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think he is very much overlooked, and I think the one aspect of Matt Ryan's career that doesn't get enough credit, and we saw that firsthand here with Eli Manning, is the durability. The guy's played at least 14 games in all 13 of his seasons, and you know what? That, to me, is important. Be accessible on the field before we talk about anything else. But the fact that you brought up the offensive line and Matt Ryan's been sacked at least 41 times and there's been some seasons, as you could attest to, where they haven't necessarily had that dominant established run game. So, you know, how much really when you look at the offensive side of the ball for the Falcons that it's not so much on Matt Ryan this year, their ceiling, but it's really about whether or not the pieces around him can come together within the early stages of the year. Lance, it's the reason. I mean, it's not, you know, it's it's the reason of the downfall, in all honesty. I mean, he's had statistically, I mean, productive years. Yeah. And people keep coming back to the quarterback. The inability to run the ball is not Matt Ryan's fault. Sure. <laughs> you know, I, 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 it's funny because people will get so fired up about it and say, well, you know, we got to get better quarterback play. No, you got to run the ball better. I mean... You know, you guys see it in New York. Your, your best teams in New York, I mean, I followed the Giants as a kid because I grew up a Carolina fan with Lawrence Taylor playing for the Giants. The best Giant teams, the best football teams anywhere are teams that run the football at the professional level. I mean, yeah, you can throw it around the yard. And, you know, I do the games with Dave Archer as a former quarterback, and he loves nothing more than to see guys sling it. But the idea you can't run the ball, that's a, that's a death nail in the NFL. And Atlanta's like everybody else. You've got to be able to run it. And to be honest with you, I mean, look at Tampa Bay. For all the greatness Tom Brady showed you during the year, and at the end of the day, what happened in the Super Bowl? They ran the ball with Leonard Fournette. Yeah. And I, I think that's a – you're exactly right. Matt Ryan gets overlooked part and parcel because of around him, not because of him. It's what goes on around him on the offensive side. Well, we're gonna we're gonna switch sides to the defense uh, again. Another new coach on the staff for the Atlanta Falcons and Dean Pease, a guy that you know if you've been around football a while, you know he's got a, a heck of a pedigree for the guys he he worked for. That being uh, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. Um, 
Wes, talk a little bit about what he's going to bring to this Atlanta defense. I know he likes to get after the quarterback in many, many ways. Um, and what are you hearing this offseason about some of the schemes that he'll be implementing in the 2021 season for the Falcons? Well, I think like a lot of people, Jeff, they're going to get to the more of the three, three, five, four, two, five, right? I mean, I think that's just kind of where this league is moving. Um, you know, the, the four-man front is going to be, you know, kind of amplified with the big nickel and, and that kind of look defensively. Uh, I think Dean will move guys around. I think that's one of the reasons, you know, Arthur Smith was able to kind of coax him out of retirement. There are a lot of people in Nashville who've told me this is the most important offseason acquisition that Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot have made because when he was in Tennessee, he was a he was a, a game changer. Uh, I, look, I think he's got a young secondary. AJ Terrell, obviously second year. Isaiah Oliver, you know, third fourth year guy. Um, Eric Harris comes over from the Raiders. Um, you know, you've got some other guys, older guys. Marquevious Mingo from Chicago. Um, but on the whole, Grady Jarrett is a linchpin up front. You hope Dante Fowler can return to form. He took a pay cut to stay here. Deion Jones is a Pro Bowl linebacker. Um, Atlanta needs to see Atlanta needs to see some real productivity on that side of the ball. And Dean Pease, in my mind, is a is a guy that can really deliver it. Yeah, I think Dean Pease could be a tremendous X factor, to your point, based on what he did in Tennessee. And the numbers, as you alluded to, Wes, were not pretty last season, specifically in the secondary. They allowed an NFL-worst 294 passing yards and 34 touchdown passes, which was also third-worst. But as much as people want to focus on the secondary, I'm wondering whether or not the play up front in getting after the quarterback is going to be maybe a determining factor. And I don't want to maybe over-exaggerate a bit, but I feel like, Wes, whenever I talk about the Falcons' pass rush, I've got to go back to maybe when John Abraham was there last in terms of, right, when they had that presence that you felt opposing teams had to scheme and say, we better double this guy up or else we're going to be in trouble. And I almost feel like that's been lacking since John Abraham, which, as you can mention, it's been quite some time. So how important is it for somebody to emerge up front to create some matchups or X factors for the Falcons in terms of getting after the quarterback? It's not imperative. It's critical. You know, I mean, it's John Abraham was a double-figure guy. Vic Beasley almost got there a couple of years ago. Uh, Atlanta, Dwight Freeney, when he came here yeah. in the latter stages of his career, was a guy who almost got double figures in limited time. Uh, since Freeney left here, in all honesty, there's not been consistent pass rush. Beasley had moments. It didn't end well. Um, you know, but since Abraham, you're right. They have not really had a pro bowl get-after-you defensive end year in and year out. I think they were hoping that, that maybe Fowler could be the guy. Um, and, again, he had a game here and a game there. But they need to find a way. If, if you were to ask longtime Falcon fans, Lance and Jeff, what the biggest you know void is defensively, it wouldn't be linebackers. They've had Pro Bowl linebackers. They've sure. had Pro Bowl guys in the secondary. It's cats that get after the quarterback. And it's not – I mean, I've been doing the games. This will be 18 years this fall. And, I, yeah, I can count on one hand the number of guys I've seen registered double-figure sack years. And that's something that has to change. Now, can Dean Pease line it up in this new world we're living in of spread influenced in the NFL to uh, make something happen? Yeah, possibly. But uh, it's going to be interesting. And I think Fowler is a key guy to keep an eye on. I think Jones is a key guy to keep an eye on. Uh, it's going to be interesting to kind of watch this team. And that's why I spoke of the schedule earlier. When you think about it, think about the teams they're going to play in the first few weeks and, and kind of how that's going to sit. It, it's going to be an interesting start. And then you get that bye week after London to kind of examine where you are through five. Turn around, we got 12 more to play this year, guys. Not 11 more, 12 more games to play after the bye week. That's a that's a, that's a college season in most Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a real tough one. I mean, I, I know from experience, and uh, with just 16 games, you kind of hope that you get that bye somewhere in the middle of the season. It doesn't always work out that way. But, you know, for players to be able to have a bye that early and then got 12 games to go with no break, that's going to be a tough one. Um, Wes, let me talk to you a little bit about Dean Pease. I, I feel like I'm just infatuated with him because he's just done such great work um, with Baltimore when he was there and, of course, with Tennessee. I know what he likes to do, and one of them is to confuse the quarterbacks. Uh, by some of the schemes that he does. And with that, 
and we talked a little bit about Grady Jarrett and Dante Fowler getting after the quarterback. Going to put a lot of pressure on uh, that defensive backfield to be opportunistic. That's one of Lance's favorite words. It took me two years to figure out how to say it <laughs> consistently. But I, I feel like uh, that's kind of one thing that, that Dean Pease will, will require from his secondary is to be ball hawks and very opportunistic. Yeah, no doubt, and I think that's where, you know, we, we talk about the four two five or the three three five. Jeff. I, I think that's where, you know, they, they're going to lean on Oliver and A.J. Terrell. I think Eric Harris and Gerard Harvin, who are veteran guys that come over in free agency, are going to have to play bigger roles. Maybe in Harmon's case, as you guys know, he was kind of a role guy in New England and a role guy in Detroit. He's going to have to play a bigger role here. Atlanta let Keanu Neal, Demonte KZ, and Ricardo Allen go out the door on free agency because of their salary cap applications. And so those are three performing players in the secondary that have to be accounted for. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, that's one of my bigger concerns. The offensive line continuity in the middle of the field in the defensive secondary, if you will, the, the nickel, the single... Uh, the strong and the free are going to be the biggest areas that I'm going to keep an eye on, even in the three preseason games, which sometimes people say are meaningless. But in Atlanta's case this year, could really be you know game experience to construct some depth about certain ways they're going to line up against certain packages, I think, from a personnel standpoint. Well, Wes, my favorite word may be opportunistic, as Jeff mentioned. His favorite term is special teams because he's a former punter. So I guess we... We have to at least cover that aspect, especially since I think it's meaningful for the Falcons because normally we're not talking about the kicker, but my goodness, Young Wei Koo was essentially a weapon for the Falcons last season. And the other addition I really liked is they brought in Cordaro Patterson, who's been a very strong return man during the course of his career. So how much do you think that facet could maybe help make up for what you were talking about, the questions up front on the offensive line as well as on the defensive side of the ball? Well, Coop became their biggest scoring threat last year, and unfortunately, a lot of it was around the red zone, and that was a, that's an issue, right? Yeah. You got to be able to get touchdowns, not field goals. But he also showed a, a really high percentage at distance, which I think certainly is going to help Atlanta a ton if he can maintain that. Uh, and I think it was good for Young Boy to have kind of his journey validated. To be honest with you guys, I mean, mm-hmm. high school football player in Jersey went to Georgia Southern. Uh, kind of a journeyman, you know, kicked in the old uh, spring league, if you will, here in Atlanta, and it didn't end well there. But, you know, kickers are like big men in the NBA. Sometimes it takes a few years to mature. Um, here's what I'll say about Cordell Patterson. Um, if Dean Pease is the most important acquisition in the offseason, the most versatile acquisition in the offseason is going to be Cordell Patterson, who took the minimum to come here. And I think one of the reasons he's come here is because I think he's going to touch the ball in a lot of ways. Sure, certainly is going to be huge. But I think you're going to see him, and you guys will know what I mean by this, because I think the Giants played the Packers when they were in the Ty Montgomery laboratory experiment that time. Where Ty Montgomery was touching it like two or three different ways of ball game in Green Bay. Yeah. Um, that's where I see Cordero Patterson, because – when you think about what Arthur Smith did, and Jeff, you mentioned it earlier, bigger backs, bigger line, I didn't play all of that. Well, at some point, it can't be Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts and running conventionally with Mike Davis. You're going to have to sneak a guy into space, find the one-on-one you can win, and who better to use than a wild, you know, wise old vet who's got a little bit of speed, right? And I think there's where Patterson kind of fits what's going to happen uh, for the Falcons offensively in certain down and distance. Now, let me give you a little bit of history here, Wes, um, about our, our man Youngway, okay? So you yeah. mentioned that he was he played high school football in Jersey. Well, by the way, he played high school football in my town in New Jersey. <laughs> wow. Uh, he came here when, uh, when he was in sixth grade. We watched him come through the junior football program. And one of the guys, one of the coaches, one of the dads came to me while I was playing with the Giants and said, there is this kid named Young Wei Koo that can kick the football like you have never seen before. You've got to see this kid. This is sixth grade now. And I remember uh, he did not want to play football. His mom wanted him to be a soccer player, which, by the way, is an amazing soccer player. But when he made it to high school, he was kicking field goals and extra points further than anybody's ever seen on that football field there. So it's been a great run for him. Uh, yeah. It's been a lot of fun watching him mature, and like you said, he went to a couple of different teams and uh, had his, you know, made his breakout in there in San Diego. But happy to see his success, and I know that he's found some uh, a home there in, in Atlanta 
just like Matt Bryant, my guy, you know, he sat there forever oh, yeah. inside that dome. Um, so we wish the best of luck for him, and we appreciate you coming on the show much today, too. No, no, it's uh, funny, man. I get a text every once in a while from uh, from old number three down on the Gulf of Mexico now. He'll, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> hit the stack of golf balls every day is a hard living. I tell him, make sure you know you And when you hit a pyramid of golf balls, I've never seen anybody, Lance and Jeff, go to a charity golf event and go through a VJ Singh rain session like Matt Bryant does. When he goes <laughs> I mean, it, it got to be, a, a, you'll like this, Jeff, because you know Bosser and Josh Harris. Sure. Who are, yep. Josh Harris is a long-time long snapper here. We do these events around town night before COVID, and we get there, and Bryant would be in full sweat, and Harris is like, he's already hit a pyramid of balls like he's mm-hmm. actually qualifying for the Open. And I'm like, <laughs> nobody gets that. They're like number three. So, no, great people in young ways. Everybody's doing a really good job here. I mean, you know, and you know this, it's it's hard. The middle game sometimes can, can chase you. He didn't let that happen here. And yeah. that's the thing that I think a lot of people here respect more than anything else is, you know, he stayed composed in the early in the early going here. And then had some big kicks. I mean, when Atlanta won, he, he had a lot to do with it. And I think a lot of people are excited about him coming back and being part of this, uh, this 2021 campaign. That's great. I'm, I'm really happy for him. So it'll be the Falcons and the Giants colliding at MetLife Stadium in Week 3 on September 26th. He is the radio play-by-play announcer for the Atlanta Falcons. Wes Durham joining us here on Giants.com Big Blue Kickoff Live. Wes, can't thank you enough. We greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Look forward to seeing you at MetLife Stadium sooner rather than later with the season around the corner. And hope all is well with you and your family. Stay safe and healthy. Thanks so much. Have a good summer, Wes. Yep. You bet. Take care. See you in the fall. You as well. Thanks again to Wes Durham, Falcons play-by-play announcer on the radio for joining us and breaking down Atlanta. We'll get more into the Falcons here in a second as we provide our own takeaways. But first, let's remind our audience that limited Giants season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. So some great tidbits that Wes Durham provided as Atlanta has everything new because they've got a new (laughs) offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, and pretty much everything in between. Now, this matchup is going to be week three, so it's going to be Mm -hmm. very early in the season. And the reason why I emphasize that, Jeff, is there's the unknown surrounding Atlanta. Even though you have some film of what Arthur Smith did in Tennessee, Mm -hmm. one of the things that Wes Durham pointed out was, hey, don't assume that just because he's coming over to Atlanta that he's going to duplicate what he did in Tennessee because they don't have the same offensive line and they're bringing in a new running back in Mike Davis. So sometimes that's an advantage for a team where you really don't have a good grasp on them even after the first two games of the regular season. It is, and I think, you know, in a preparation standpoint, you got to go back and look at certainly what uh, Arthur Smith has done in his previous where he's been, just kind of the, the scheme that he runs. And I know that um, a lot of people have talked about his scheme is very similar to what the Falcons have already run uh, now, so or in the past, I should say. So that's got to make um, the quarterback happy. Uh, Matt Ryan, um, some of the, the offensive linemen that are there. But as always, Lance, it's it's always an adjustment. These guys have to learn, you know, every offense is, it might be the same, but the terminology changes. That's that's the, that's the issue. Um, you still have nine routes, you know, to run in the, in the, in the route tree. Um, so those were pretty much all the same. They just have to change some of the words. But I will tell you that um, the fact is that <laughs> they don't have the running game that the Tennessee Titans have, and that's for sure. Um, when we started to talk a little bit about that, and I think that they will try to find a, a way to run the football. They have to. But I think Kyle Pitts, and, and I tell you, he's going to be a big part of this offense. And if he's not, there's something wrong. Um, because I think <laughs> that he is going to be a dynamic playmaker along with Calvin Ridley. We heard a little bit about him and, um, and some other guys. So, yeah, offensively, I think they're going to they're gonna be somewhat similar. But I think that they are going to throw the football a lot. And then, of course, we talked about defense. And, uh, you know, I think Pease is a guy that uh, likes to get after the quarterback. But as we, as we mentioned and we talked about, 
you know, they have some concern there in the interior defensive line that they uh, they have to address. But um, they have always had good linebackers. I mean, Vic Beasley, those guys, they they were all really, really good and, and always had a, a set of guys that could get after and cover, by the way. Very athletic. Yeah. Um, but I think the strong point for the Atlanta Falcons defense is probably their secondary, um, their young secondary mixed in with a couple of veterans. So um, this will be a good this will be a good matchup for the Giants. I think that these are two teams that – are are obviously going to be improving, but I, I give a you know my hat as a nod or whatever is to the Giants this matchup already. I mean I, I know we're way ahead of ourselves here, but I think the Giants have a great opportunity to win this ball game. Well, the Falcons last season finished four and twelve. They were mm-hmm. in last place in the NFC South. So as you laid out, they brought in a new coaching staff. There's a lot of motivation to show an immediate return, and Arthur Smith has even said since he took over the job, and granted, part of this is coaches speak, but they're not just looking to rebuild and retweak this season. They're looking to be competitive, and I would argue with Drew Brees no longer in that division and the Saints changing quarterbacks and Mm -hmm. Carolina still relatively young, Mm -hmm. you can make a jump in that division. Tampa Bay is certainly still the team to beat. They're the defending champs, Tom Brady and all those veterans, but it's not crazy to think that if Atlanta has that defense that you just talked about, can it meet the offense halfway? Can there be enough improvement where there's not going to be a shutdown unit, but I do think Dean Pease could get creative. He's certainly going to have a completely different philosophy than Dan Quinn and how he utilizes this young secondary and some of those athletic linebackers like a Deion Jones, for example, who comes to mind. Can he get some productivity out of them? And sometimes the way to overcome, and this is something we talked about with Wes Durham and you even pointed out when you use my favorite term opportunistic, (laughs) if they become a defense, Jeff, where mm-hmm. they have a knack for taking away the football or punching it out, then all of a sudden you don't have to worry about being a dominant team because you can now set up your offense nicely by switching and changing field position. Yeah, and you and you, you heard Wes talk about the red zone failures and field goals. Well, you know, listen, I think defensively the Atlanta Falcons got to believe that they're kind of a bend-don't-break defense, you know, so Absolutely. let those guys get down there and uh, limit them to field goals. And then offensively, if these guys can put up some points on – on the scoreboard, they'll be in some games. So I think there's a lot to improve on. Um, it's a team that's going to building for the future. But like you said, I think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are obviously the team to beat in that division. And so these guys will be mixing it up and trying to see maybe if there's a wild card in there. Um, and you never know with the Tampa Bay. It's hard to repeat, as we know that. Uh, we've seen before where, def- where teams come back after the Super Bowl and they, they have a little bit of a let up. But... <laughs> They got number 12 down there. I don't think he's going to do much to try to, to keep that trend because, I mean, they had almost the whole team coming back. So I think that the Falcons got their hands full as far as winning the division there. A continuity is such a big advantage in this mm-hmm. league, as you yeah. can attest to. So there's no doubt about it. Barring injuries for Tampa Bay, I find it very hard to believe that the, that team is going to fall off a cliff and all of a yeah. sudden we're going to see somebody new. I almost look like Bruce Arians as a pilot, right? He's got just clicks the autopilot button. <laughs> and, you know, he's like, okay, I got Tom Brady as my main pilot here, and uh, I'll be sitting back and uh, on cruise control, and you guys just take it over. There you go. You 100%. Know, so, yeah, it's uh, interesting. I'm looking over the Atlanta Falcons from last season. As I mentioned, they only won four games, but sometimes, you know, records are a bit deceiving. And this just goes to show you how you can never just brush off a team and throw them to the side or overlook them. Atlanta last season, you could argue, gave the Kansas City Chiefs their toughest competition Mm -hmm. because the Falcons held the Chiefs to 17 points late in the season in Week 16. They lost that game ultimately 17-14, but show me another team that successfully slowed down the Kansas City Chiefs offense other than, of course, Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl that held them under 20 points. So it just goes to show you Mm -hmm. sometimes you can catch a team that's got a favorable matchup. They schemed accordingly, and all of a sudden you have quite a headache. So Lance, you hear it all the time. Hey, those guys get paid too, right? I mean, so at this level, anything can happen on any given Sunday. And, you know, if you are um, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, a lot of teams, they, they kind of overlook these other teams. And so that's probably what happened there. You know, you can never overlook your opponent in this league. It, it happens all the time. We, we talk about it. And, you know, if you're, on the, if you're on the side of the coin where that happens too, then shame on you. Because, you know what, every week is different. And um, all these guys are talented enough. And, by the way, it just takes a couple big plays and some turnovers and, you know, some opportunistic plays and guys that, you know, you never know what could happen. And, uh, you know, young way and a field goal at 56, you know, yard 
short field goal with no seconds left on it could could easily happen. So um, you never know in this in the National Football League. Um, I think it's interesting to to talk to uh, Wes about the team because he's so embedded with what's going on down there, and that's what's just great about our you know when we start to break down our teams that we're gonna play the Giants are gonna play this year. Well, and like the Giants, several other teams around the league have seen a lot of changes on their roster. Atlanta is included in that group. And then on top of that, the change of the coaching staff. One other thing I want to touch on goes back to the player that you referenced who we know you're very high on, and that's Kyle Pitts. Because if you look at the early season tests, and we talked about the Broncos on Monday's program, well, that's going to be an interesting test for the Giants offense because you're going up against one of the best defenses very much balanced in terms of their front seven as well as their secondary. With Atlanta, okay, question marks on the defensive side of the ball. So I look at more of this as a test for the Giants' defense and how it's Mm. going to match up, Jeff, against the Falcons' offense. Because if you have two tight ends and you have Kyle Pitts, and a lot of people are wondering, well, how are teams going to counter Kyle Pitts? Do you have a linebacker that you feel good about putting on Kyle Pitts? Do you have a safety? What about a cornerback? Well, the good news for the Giants is they've got a lot of options in the secondary. The million-dollar question is, can, can somebody <laughs> actually answer that challenge and D him up consistently? Or well, is it one of those games where you don't want to give him one consistent look and you just mix and match so this way he can't get comfortable? Well, you know, Wes had mentioned it, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time before teams figure out, you know, if they need to double cover this guy or yeah. not. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors in here. Number one, yeah, he's, he's an amazing athlete is a freak, you know, guy that we talk about and, um, but he's still coming to the next level. Now I know we talk about the SEC as being, you know, close to the National Football League, but it's not. Okay. So there are guys here that, um, that cover, uh, all the good t- quality tight ends in the National Football League. So they will have a plan to attack him. Um, they're going to go after his weaknesses, and he's going to have to learn and grow and mature as a player in this league, even though he has the great ability to do what he can. The, the fact is, is that he will make some plays on you because of just of his freakish nature. He's, you know, he's going to be well covered, but he's also six foot six. So the guy's going to be able to make some plays on if they've got a cornerback on him or you've got a safety or whoever's covering him. Um, so listen, you kind of pick your poison. You got to figure he's going to make some plays, but you just don't want to make him have him making a lot of big plays. I anticipate this guy at one point in time having, you know, he's just a red zone threat, a guy that's going to catch so many touchdowns down there in the red zone. And if I'm Matty Ryan, I've just got to be so happy oh, that yeah. I have a guy like him. But and by the way, you know, Hayden Hurst is not a bad guy either. You know, you talk about a, a tight end and Wes had mentioned that he's more of a hand in the dirt kind of guy. But, you know, you've got two quality tight ends there. And maybe that'll take a little pressure off of uh, Hayden Hurst because of the fact that Kyle Pitts is on the field. Well, and they're going to need both of those tight ends, mainly because sure, of the fact that they just the parted ways with Julio Jones and absolutely to run the football too. So I think all of those pretty much are interconnected. But I'm with you about him being a big red zone weapon. And it's funny because listening to you, Jeff, talk about how you can really D him up, but his athleticism could still put him over the top because of his length and make a play, happen. right? It's almost similar to basketball. And if you remember the Bucks nets game when you had Kevin Durant hit the game-tying jumper at the end of regulation, mm-hmm. well, I would say that P.J. Tucker was all up in his grill and Durant still made the shot, right? So sometimes yeah. you have really good defense, but the offense, you just got to tip your cap. And Kyle Pitts is that type of a player. Listen, the guys are, you know, every one of these guys that are on the starting lineup for 32 of the teams are, they're just, you know, they're amazing athletes and they're one of the best at their positions in the world. I mean, you think about the punters and kickers, by the way, there's only 32 of those guys in the world. Um, you know, and it just goes to show you how talented every one of them are. Um, and Can't forget about go, those individuals, of course. That's yes. right. You got to throw those in there. <laughs> so, you know, but a guy like Kyle Pitts is, um, I think that Arthur Smith is going to, he's going to use him in a variety of ways, almost like we, we envision that Kadarius Tony is going to be used in Jason Garrett's offense of quite a bit of different ways too, you know. So um, I also believe that, and I'm getting off topic a little bit, that, um, you know, the tight end for the Giants is going to be used in a different way this year too because of Kadarius Tony. I think Evan Ingram is going to have a, a, a an outstanding year if he can stay healthy. He did last year. I work on some of his dropsies. But, you know, anytime a player comes into their contract year, things amp up just a little bit, Lance. Well, you feel the pressure of having to deliver in case 
you do not get renewed by your current team. So if anything, right, you want to showcase your skill set to the rest of the league. So I would agree with you there from that Mm -hmm. standpoint. Now, just staying on the tight end topic and you tying in Kadarius Toney, it goes back to what we've talked about with respect to a number of players on the Giants roster. When the Falcons took Kyle Pitts with a fourth overall pick, they didn't take a player that they just figured we're going to assign you the label of tight end. They took a weapon. So that's why if you're Arthur Smith, you're having a lot of late nights coming up with imaginative ways of how you're going to utilize him within the scheme, not the fact that you're just going to treat him like any other ordinary tight end. So I guarantee you now it'll be interesting because I don't know how much they'll open things up by the time we get to week three. To your point, because, you know, sometimes you need a few more games to yeah. understand how We might be lucky. The Giants might be correct. lucky they're getting them at the week three. Yeah. That actually may turn out to be advantageous. But I think that once you get halfway through the season and defenses start to adjust, then Arthur Smith and company are going to counter that. And they're going to start to put Kyle Pitts in other positions that you probably haven't seen on film before. So that cat and mouse game, that game of chess, whatever you want to call it, I think that's going to be pretty fascinating in the early stages of what the Giants see out of the Falcons versus whoever's playing Atlanta a few weeks later. Yeah, if I'm Arthur Smith, I, I honestly I'm looking at the other. I'm looking at the San Francisco 49ers. I'm looking at the Kansas oh, yeah. City Chiefs. I'm looking at the Tampa Bay. I'm looking at the Eagles. How they used to use, uh, you know, uh, their tight ends, Dallas Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm looking at those types of uh, personnel groupings and what they do. And then I'm just going to go and say, Hey, listen, you got to defend this guy. I don't know how you're going to do it, but he's going to win most of the time. And so you know you're going to have to go up against this guy quite a bit in in, in the the game. He might get I don't know ten targets a game, but you're gonna have to you're gonna have to do whatever. But I'm gonna draw up these plays that these other guys are successful at. Because by the way, Lance, when we look at the success of of uh, the guy down there in, in San Francisco, um, for for Kittle, his name you're talking right about? Now. Yeah, Kittle. Nobody can stop that guy. <laughs> you try to, okay, but um, that's just the way it is. You know. Uh, Kelsey's another guy. Nobody stops that guy. The only thing that stops Kelsey or Kittle are themselves. If they have an off day or they drop some passes or they get hurt, right? But sure. the fact of the matter is those guys are so athletic, they're, they're, they're so good, and their matchups are nightmares. And so I feel like, you know, he's just gonna have, they're just going to have to defend this guy and, and see what they could do. But he's going to make some plays on you. Hopefully by the time the Giants uh, get to him in week three, he still hasn't figured the National Football League out yet. So. We'll you see. can only hope and pray <laughs> from that standpoint. <laughs> I although, I'll I tell you what, it, you know how high I was on him. He was my number one guy that I just I was infatuated with. Well, lo and behold, the Giants get to, to come to MetLife. I get to see the game in person to watch him. So that's going to be really – it is here, right? Yes, it, it is, is here. In, yes. Okay. That's the so silver sure. lining for you. That's so, see, so you yeah, didn't get it. him to get selected by the Giants, <laughs> at least but you I get least to get to see him, him in person. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So maybe <laughs> so I'll even get his autograph. Who knows? Small <laughs> favors. It's the little things in life. <laughs> it's the little Yes, as Jeff mentioned. Lance Meadow, Jeff Eagles with you here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Now, timing is everything in life. Well, that has now proven true here on Big Blue Kickoff Live because on the very show that we mm-hmm. are breaking down the Atlanta Falcons and talking about week three, what do we find out on Monday? Well, we find out two things. Number one, Eli Manning is back in Big Blue. No, he's not putting on the uniform, but he now has a role within the Giants organization. The Giants announced he will help with initiatives stretching across business development, marketing, and community, and corporate relations. He'll also collaborate with the Giants on original content development and fan engagement activities, including a new lifestyle series premiering this fall. But on top of that, during halftime of the Week 3 game, September 26th at MetLife Stadium when the Giants host the Falcons, Manning will have his number 10 jersey retired, and he'll become the 43rd inductee into the team's ring of honor. So, Jeff, see, everything comes together very nicely here with respect to our programming. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Eli called me yesterday and said, you know, I know you guys are going to be doing your uh, season <laughs> breakdowns with the Falcons. I got some oh, great how news could for you, Jeff. Yes. Yeah, so it's all worked out perfectly, and uh, we got together with the Giants and said, hey, why don't you guys just announce this the same time that we're going to be doing the breakdown of the Atlanta game? So it all works out good, there you, you go. know? So, uh, well-deserved, as you know, I think that uh, Eli is going to enjoy the role he's in because I think it's perfect. I mean, someone like Eli, who, uh, as we all know, is an amazing person, but he's got a, a distinct personality that can make people laugh and 
uh, sign things on the dotted line. So I think that's important to the Giants, and he's going to do. He's going to be a great ambassador for the team. Uh, I think he'll enjoy what he's doing. I was reading on Twitter today. He said he's never had an office. He's had an office before. He's got his own office in his house. Trust me. He's just <laughs> never had an office at no at some other place. But he's going to enjoy that aspect of it. I don't know how much time he really will be spending in the facility, Lance. If you uh, you know you kind of asked me, I would say not much. But most of his work is going to be off. You know, off outside of the facility. Yeah. Getting business and doing things like that so um you know giants fans have got to love this we all know that uh that eli's said once a giant always a giant you know that kind of thing he's always been that's what he's going to do it's going to be great for the organization he's going to enjoy himself so it'll be actually fun to see him around the facility when we're down there It'll be a little bit weird because we it's going to be such there. a different setting. Yes, well, that will be weird, too, <laughs> to actually be there. But on top of that, it'll be weird because you're so used to seeing Eli Manning out on the field, and now mm-hmm. he will be a spectator if he does come out for some on-field team activities. But as you mentioned, Jeff, most of his assignments are going to be probably within local community events, at mm-hmm. games, yeah. intermingling with marketing, advertisers, and so forth. So And doing some shows. Exactly. Know? I mean, just things, because you see some of the things that him and uh, and Peyton do, and, you know, he's, he's, he is funny. He's a funny guy. And, um, you know, I, I, I played alongside him a long time and um, was next to his locker forever. And uh, just a funny dude. And, you know, we've known each other for a while, and he, he's going he's gonna to do fine in that role. So it'll be a fun time for him. I just hope he doesn't step on your toes because you have a presence at Giants home games when it comes sure. to suites. So Eli has to know that there's the Jeff Fiegel's territory. He can have maybe the other side of the stadium, but not I your feel, territory. I feel like he's going to be elevated above the suites uh, greet and meets than, uh, than me. So I, I, I'm not worried about okay. it. Okay, I just want to yeah. make sure yeah. that. No, I think he's going to be, uh, he'll be in the, actually, I've, I'm only allowed in the suite level. He'll be up in the in the uh, commissioner's club, which is the ultimate suites. Oh, so he gets access to where the elevator doesn't go for the regular people is what you're he saying. He gets access to where <laughs> there's normally one security guard outside the uh, elevator that you and I see. Yes. Um, this one is like guarded, like, you know, basically, yeah. We're not getting it's in like that one, It's like a fortress, essentially, yes. Yeah, you yeah. and I are not getting in that one no matter what our credentials say. Eli's getting into that top top floor, no problem. Yeah, my ID badge doesn't have that clearance level. Is what it you're telling not. me? It, essentially. it actually, once we try, it'll it, it, it explodes, and we gotta get a new one. Yes, and then and security tries to... to find you in pieces after mm-hmm. that. Yes, yep, that's yep. the. So let's full just not do yeah. that, Lance. I no, know you I, and I, I travel up and do down that, that yeah. elevators all the time. At, you know, at the home games when we're coming off this MetLife stage, but we're not going up to the top level, Lance. I'm not doing it for you, okay? Message received. I will not try to test the boundaries when we return to MetLife (laughs) Stadium. I promise you that. But it is nice to see that they will be retiring his jersey and honoring him at halftime early in the season. This is also a 1 o'clock game, so it's one of those early kickoffs locally. And remember, this was something that... Jeff, the Giants wanted to do this past season, unfortunately, because of COVID, things were delayed. So it's good that they don't have to wait till very later on in the season, but they're going to at least give this an opportunity for the fans to see him early in week three. And uh, a lot of, you know, um, coincidences here, you know, with the Atlanta Falcons is actually the first team that Eli started against was Ah, the Atlanta Falcons. Look at that tie-in. The other one is the the only home playoff game. That ah, Eli Manning one. has won right. was against the Atlanta Falcons. That lopsided so, game. Yep, lots and lots of going on there, and um, it'll be really nice to see that number ten jersey retired, and uh, not that anybody was ever going to wear it again. Do you know the last person to wear number ten before Eli? That's a good quiz. Man, I wonder if anybody can stretch. figure that one out. I don't know. I'm going to have to connect the dots for another few days. We'll until let somebody I... else try to come up with okay. the answer because it's a yeah. tough one. It is a it's, very, very tough one. Yeah. You know, it's probably something you'd see on Jeopardy, you know, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> but When Aaron you know, Rodgers is hosting. <laughs> that's right. That, that is right. So, but it'll be, that'll be, a, that's going to be a great night. You know, just reading some of the transcripts from uh, the interview that Eli did, I, I feel like he's excited about it because this is the true opportunity for him to kind of plan something, you know, formally be able to have his family there um, and, and with people not knowing, you know, like last, no, what's going on here? You know, is this your last game? Is it officially? You don't know. This is official. You know, it's going up in the rafters and you are going to be on the ring of honor. And so now you can have all your, your, uh, your friends there and your family. And by the way, 
it's the uh, the 10th anniversary of the 2011 Super Bowl, too, so that's a big deal also. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of tie-ins to this 2021 season. I love those nuggets that you brought up about the Atlanta well, Falcons. Well, I like to try to bring something to no, the show every well, once of in course. a while, Lance. I'm not denying you that. I just It sounds as if somebody may have recommended what game for this to happen, the way you had all of those... At your disposal. I'm wondering if the inner workings and discussions that you were involved in. That's what I'm trying to determine. I'm just telling you right now, I was not involved in any of the discussions. Okay, I think you're being modest maybe a little bit on your end. But I will say this. I hope that when Eli does take the podium at halftime of that game, that he does acknowledge the person that wore number (laughs) 10 previously so that the only reason why number 10 is going to the rafters of MetLife Stadium is because that other individual gave him the opportunity to wear and showcase number 10. I do hope there's a brief mention of that. Yeah, I think, you know, if and if it's not done publicly, at least he'll, you know, tell everybody else behind the scenes. Okay, well, hopefully privately it will be taken care of. Yes. Yeah, because I know that, you know, those halftime shows when – you know, you're you're forced. You got 12 minutes, and it's not a long time. Well, don't so. tell Tom Coughlin that. How I know, great remember? was that? Remember when Coughlin <laughs> came back to go to the Ring of Honor, and we're he on was at halftime. Not going off, right? Yeah. We're on yeah. at halftime. We're listening to the speech during our halftime report on the radio broadcast, and yep. we're looking at the clock. And we're saying to ourselves, you know, Tom, as you know, Jeff, I mean, when it comes to being on time, I mean, the man is pristine. He threw the clock out the window on this one. (laughs) He said, not this time. This is my time, you know. And, uh, yeah, he basically just took his sweet old time and – uh, and everybody just applies. And meanwhile, the NFL is going, dude, what's going on here? Oh, Come I can on, imagine ESPN's probably getting nervous because yeah. that was a Monday yeah. night game. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> that was uh, that was a lot of fun. That was a great day. That so. was indeed. So we're looking forward to week three now for many different reasons. And we appreciate Eli Manning for making this publicly known on the exact broadcast that we were breaking down Beautiful. the Atlanta Falcons. So yep. it all comes beautifully together. Now, a reminder, all of our shows this week are pre-recorded, so we are unable to take your phone calls, but we still want to maintain interaction so you could submit your questions to the giants.com mailbag or you can also use hashtag giants chat on twitter each and every day we will try to answer some of the submitted questions so jeff before we wrap things up let's get to a few mailbag questions and this first one comes from jim in new york do you think there is a chance the giants look to get younger make draft pick gary brightwell their fullback and move on from eli penny this season Oh, I think there's a good distinct possibility of that. Absolutely. I mean, listen, when you draft their guys, you don't draft them just for a roster spot. You you see the development in them, and he's a guy that was drafted late, late, and so that's a developmental player. You know, I mean, we talk about Matt Parrott being a developmental player. I don't certainly think that Matt Parrott is a developmental player at a third-round pick. I think they're banking on him pretty much starting soon. And so a sixth or seventh rounder is a developmental guy, and I think that that's a good question. I don't think think that here's the thing that's going to happen he is a special teams guy remember yeah. when he got interviewed after the draft was over and he said you know I, this is i love special teams i want to play special teams that's his and that was music yeah. to my ears <laughs> and i told you guys that so he has but by the way eli penny is also one of those guys that plays special teams and is really good at it that is something to look at and look for uh in training camp as far as kind of a a, a good competition keep your eye on that well, there's no doubt about it that he is going to be a strong asset on special teams. And if he's going to make the roster, he's going to have to do it on special teams. And we know he, he will can be contribute. on every Correct. he'll be on the big all four, four units. Yep. 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 He did that in college. So I don't sure. think it's going to be any different now pertaining to this question, which is a little bit interesting because the question is about could they experiment with him at fullback and Listen, if they wanted to find ways to get some of these young guys on the field, I don't think there's anything wrong with experimentation. I just wonder, a guy that's 5'10", 218 pounds, you got to think of the frame about whether or not he's actually built to be thrown into a fullback role potentially. Let's talk about this. So let's go a little bit deeper here, Lance. So let's just say that that he ends up doing very well on special teams and the team wants to keep him around, okay? So here's what they can do. This is all could depend uh, basically on the tight end position and will they keep an extra tight end that can play some fullback, right? So, you know, it's all about a numbers game. And so if he can play good special teams and then the other tight end can play a little bit of uh, fullback and also play special teams, that might be bad news for Eli Penning. So that's, again, I think it all depends on positions, depth, 
and how they're going to use these guys. Because it's a I numbers don't, game. I don't see, yeah. I don't see him playing fullback. No, neither do I. And that's pound, why I brought that up. Fullback, yeah. yeah. So I think that you know he would be a guy that they want to develop as a as a backup to Saquon Barkley eventually. But in the meantime, he's going to have to earn his stripes playing special teams, and he's going to have to beat out some guys to keep the roster spot. Yeah. And by the way, you know late late draft picks like that. They have a propensity to end up on the practice squad somehow, and so that could be somewhere where he's destined to go to. But you know, and again, it's a developmental pick. He's going to have to develop into a player unless he does it right away. You never know. But if they're going to develop him, in all likelihood, it will be at be back. positions correct that he's much more comfortable in playing from his college days. I want to add two other things. Number one, because the way the question was worded seems to indicate that Eli Penny is a very old man. But, you know, Eli no. Penny is only 27 no. years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's no. been in the league since 2016. So I guess, once again, maybe I'm sticking too hard to the phrasing of the question, but I don't really think they're in a position where they're saying, oh, my God, we got to get so much younger because Eli Penny has been in the league for 10 years. Yeah, that that's type not, of thing. I don't yeah. think that's an age thing there. Correct. I, I think it's more of an ability and more. And like I said, I think it's a positional battle. I no, think the tight end point on, is great. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to add, speaking of the fullback position, remember, this is a player we actually haven't talked much about. They actually signed in free agency. They brought in a guy by the name of Colin Gillespie who was on the Houston Texans, who is a traditional fullback and has about 10 pounds more on his frame than a guy like Gary Brightwell. So I guess what I'm saying is if there is going to be somebody that replaces Eli Penny, because you know they're not going to keep two fullbacks, in all likelihood it would be an established player that they added like Gillespie as opposed to, I think, a flyer on a late pick who has never played the fullback position. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, and I, I use the R-Lads as, uh, as for the depth charts and Arlet doesn't even have Eli Penny on here as really? a wow as a fullback that just, oh no I'm sorry I, I just looked at he's on as a running back um well it's understandable because yeah. sometimes they put the fullback in with the running backs as okay. opposed to giving yeah. them a separate label yeah, yeah. because it's funny I was just looking at the fullback position and it has Colin Galapia or whatever he's heck you call his <laughs> Gillespie, name um, yes <laughs> Gillespie is that it oh, Gillespie Gillespie. Yes. Anyways, uh, Elijah Penny is on here, um, number 39, the running back position. So, hey, well, either way. We know you're not rooting for Cullen to make a roster spot. I can tell you right now. I'm not, listen, I'm, it's brutal. I'm, I'm, I'm not rooting for a lot of these guys to make the team this know, year with yeah. these names. <laughs> well, just get used to Aziz Ojolari because he can, I guarantee uh, you, make the roster. I got that so, one. Yeah. Aziz, I got that one down, okay? Alar, uh, hello. Uh, <laughs> don't, never mind. Don't jinx yourself, Jeff. That was blame me. I put you in that position, so you could give me strike Aziz Ojolari. Okay, I got go. that one down. I'll tell you the one that's going to give me problem. You know it already. Okay, and I'm going to have to just come up. Oh, with I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, where, where <laughs> Do you even want to attempt it? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to attempt it. In fact, it, when one day I'm going to I'm going to make up a nickname for him, and that's what his name will be for the year. <laughs> Well, we've actually had some luck where most Giants players have had nicknames in some capacity. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like O'Shane Zimenez. Not that that's incredibly difficult, but they call him the X-Man. But in case the audience is completely lost, I will say the name just so that everybody is alert and is aware. It's Afadi Odenabo. Yeah, Afadi. Yeah. There you go. I'll get it. I'll get it. I'm, you will. When I, well, when you I have your my, own training camp. Well, your practice. I, I do. So. I have my own training camp depth chart. And that's like, I, I it's phonetically, I do my own. Okay. And Which so is good. That's, yeah. uh, and by the way, you do an outstanding job sending me my, all the stuff on Sundays, you know, that we do during the regular season with all of your breakdowns of the name. So that's a good one. And by the way, I also use the... So you also gave me this. I also go online and I type in the name and it actually has a lady or a man. It has a woman that comes on there and says their name. And I do it like 50 times to try to figure out how it's said. So there you go. See, you've got the whole process down pat. That's the beauty of listening to somebody else say the name so that this way you can fully understand how it should roll off your tongue. I like it. Yeah. So let's try to squeeze in one more mailbag question before we put everybody to sleep with our pronunciation game. (laughs) And this one comes from John in New Jersey. Is John Ross expected to be a number two wide receiver, slot specialist, or on the bench slash roster bubble? Oh, I don't think he's on the bench roster bubble at all. Um, I actually, you know, I actually have him um, as the third receiver. Um, 
I mean, when you talk about Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, and Ross, well, the fourth. I mean, well, Sterling Shepard too. Sterling Shepard yeah. is in there. Okay, so yeah, he's he. I have him as the fourth receiver in the rotation of the of those guys. I think Dante Pettis is another guy that you got to put his name in there, and then Kadarius Tony. I mean, this is going to be. I we we've mentioned this on this program before. Uh, you talk about one thing that I want to watch specifically this year is the offensive line and how those guys are going to to just to gel and how much they're going to. But the competition at the wide receiver and also the defensive end position is going to be outstanding to yeah. watch. Okay, the edge rusher, excuse me. Um, those are the things you're going to want to watch. And there is a crowded, crowded meeting rooms in that wide receiver room. I mean, a lot of guys that can play, but what's it going to come down to? As I always say, some of those guys are going to have to play special teams. So like a guy like Dante Pettis, okay, or a John Ross, those guys may be asked to play some special teams. And if they can't do it, then maybe a guy like C.J. Board or, or uh, Austin Mack might come in and take their jaws just because they're able to play the special teams. And just so you know, John Ross zero career snaps on special teams, by the way, during the course of his career thus far. Really? Yeah, because wow. I just looked it up. Because you do that bring up an interesting huge. point. That's going to be something. I, you know what? And that's a conversation that I promise you I will have with Mr. McGahee and also with uh, Dan, Qu- Dan Quinn. Tom Quinn. <laughs> oh, you're talking to the Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator? I didn't know that, Jeff. Yeah, this news to, to me. Why didn't you let me in on this? <laughs> let me get him on the line real quick. <laughs> So, yeah, Tom Quinn, I will ask them about that because I'm, I'm curious to see what they have to say about that. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating conversation. Here's the other thing, though, and this is not to circumvent the question that was submitted, but let's face it. Before we even talk about what John Ross's role is potentially going to be, how about we talk about the durability aspect? Let him stay healthy, okay? Yeah. Well, Jeff, that's, that, that's the key here. He's got to be accessible because I think even the Giants are saying – hey, we could use him here, we could use him there, but they also want to know that this is a player that they could rely on week in and week out as opposed to having a flash every so often. And once again, this is not me trying to put doubt on his availability, but I'm just going based on the facts. The most games he's ever appeared in is 13. That was back in 2018. Eight games in 2019, only three in 2020. So he's only played in 11 games, Jeff, in the last two seasons combined. Before, once again, you start carving out a role for a player like this. I think he needs to prove that he could stay healthy. He needs to battle with the other wide receivers, to your point, in training camp, solidify a roster spot, and then you can actually start to experiment about where he would be a good fit. Plus, I mean, you've got to answer all of those questions, okay? And you better be, those better be answered because I'm, if I'm going to keep a guy on my roster that does zero special teams, that's at, at, at that position, because wide receivers, they play a lot of special teams, okay? They do. They, they have, have to. to, yeah. And so if you're a guy that's just going to sit on the sideline where there's special teams going on in those 30 to 45 plays a game, whatever they are, uh, you better be pretty darn good. And uh, you better have some durability. And I better be able to, to, to depend on you week in and week out, something that that has not happened in his career. Let's keep an eye on that. That's going to be interesting. Because there is depth, as you mentioned, to the wide receiver position. And this could be one of those years – where maybe the Giants have to debate, do you keep a sixth-slash-seventh wide receiver? Or if the practice squad rules carry over from last season, yeah. does that afford you to say, hey, we'll keep five or six guys on the roster, and then we could always call up an Austin Mack or a C.J. Board, assuming somebody like that doesn't get claimed by another team? I think the only way you keep that sixth or seventh wide receiver is if John Ross actually blows the doors off the place and you have to keep him because now you have a guy that doesn't play special teams. You still need a wide receiver. To I play would agree with teams. you. Yeah. So you might have to keep an extra one just because John Ross did well. And that was exactly my logic in posing yeah. that question, Jeff. You and I are on the same page because I'm saying to myself, if Ross warrants a roster spot and you figure he's going to be a fourth or a fifth wide receiver – well, then do you keep somebody else to play specials? And also, here's the other thing. Because of his injury history, Jeff, how much do you say to yourself, maybe you don't want him playing specials because you want to make sure you preserve him for offense, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, well, again, he's got to be that good. Yeah. He's got to be that good. And he's got to be that healthy. Yep. That's a great point. Yep. So a it's lot of be things. interesting. Yeah. Yep. It will be, absolutely. We appreciate those of you who submitted those questions. Once again, Giants.com mailbag and hashtag Giants chat on Twitter. As that is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, 
We will be up and running again on Wednesday. A reminder, all these shows are pre-recorded, but we'll continue to preview upcoming opponents for the Giants this regular season, so stay tuned for that. Jeff, always a blast going back and forth. We will do it again. You got it, Lance. Thank you. That is Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, which is part of the Giants Podcast Network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Have a good one.